0: Thanks for tuning in to the audio edition of our Sunday sermons. For more information about Cornerstone, visit cornerstonerome.com. How many of you had a mean mother? I had a mean mother. In fact, a couple weeks ago, I was in church with my mom, 91 years old, and uh, she was a mean mom. She wanted to know where we were going, who we were going to be with. She told us. She didn't ask when we were coming back. She told us when we were coming back. Uh, and everything that she said had an unspoken or else. And we all knew what or else was. It was about this long, about that wide, and she didn't hesitate to use it. Uh, now, my dad was a little more mild. My One of my sisters said, uh, Dad's the head of the house. Mom's the boss. <laughs> she kind of understood the... The, the lay of the land. But one of the things that my mom was a real stickler about was the name of the Lord and taking the name of the Lord in vain. We weren't allowed to use God's name in vain even a little bit. No gosh, no golly. Uh, in fact, all of those euphemisms that get in there, darn and heck and dang, and that was all taboo. And I'll tell you how mean she was. She had a bar of soap. And... She wasn't afraid to use it. And sometimes, you know, a little bitty mouth and a big, big bar of soap. Uh, but you don't forget that. And it actually carried over into the next generation. My daughter found her son, Wyatt, uh, in the bathroom. And he was crying. And she said, Wyatt, what's wrong? And he said, I said a bad word. And he had a bar of soap in his mouth. And he was, he was, well, Wyatt was a self-reporter and a self-punisher. Uh, I don't know how that... How that worked, but but he was uh, he was cleaning up his mouth. Well, I thank God for a mean mother. Are any of you Jeff Foxworthy fans? Okay, Foxworthy is he's become a believer. He is a believer. Goes to uh, North Point, and uh, I've noticed as I looked at online for some of his jokes, they've kind of cleaned up, um, which they they needed to. Um, <laughs> But I like his southern humor. He's become famous for that. For he's become famous for his "You Might Be a Redneck If" jokes, and I hope you, I hope you all have a good sense of humor. Um, I might get myself in real trouble here, but the one that I relate to the most because of my family background is "You Might Be a Redneck If Your Richest Relative Buys a New House and Invites the Whole Family Over to Help Take the Wheels Off." Uh, (laughs) Because a lot of my family, well, we we started out married life in a mobile home, and. um, the other one is, uh, you might be a redneck if your dog and your wallet are both on a chain. Uh, so he has a whole whole bunch of those. So we're going to use that format this morning. Uh, another was, uh, uh, you might be a redneck if you have a picture of Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson, or Elvis above your fireplace. Uh, I don't know if we, we managed to offend anybody yet. Well, I just want to use that format to talk about the name of the Lord and how important and significant it is. Do you remember how this all began? It was before the Ten Commandments. This is the third of the Ten Commandments. And let's put it on the screen, if you will, please. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Now, somehow, Moses knew the right question to ask. When he encountered God at the burning bush... And God told him, I have an assignment for you. I want you to go to Egypt and bring out my people out of slavery, get them away from the Pharaoh. He asked a very significant question. What was it? What's your name? Yeah, he had lost touch with God. He had personally lost got touch with God to the extent he didn't know what to call him. All he saw was a burning bush, and he heard a voice, and he said, Who shall I say sent me? What is your name? I can't. Go and do this assignment unless I know you. And he's asking a lot more than which letters designate who you are. He was saying, I need to know you. What is your name? And what was the answer? I am. Tell them, I am sent you. And that's a a Hebrew word that we don't even know how to pronounce. It's been lost to history. Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, Jehovah, we say but I am was the designation. And here's how it works. Whatever you need, I am. Wherever you go, anywhere, any problem that you have and you need help with, so any, any need that you can name, whether it's hunger or thirst or comfort or peace or salvation, uh, anything you need, I am. And so God is claiming to be the all-sufficient one. But he says, you must keep my name holy. And so that's why my mom thought it was such a big deal. That's why God thought it was such a big deal. Third issue, the first few issues all have to do with the person and identity of God and the fact that, that there are things that belong only solely, completely to him. And one of those is his name. So let's, let's uh, look at four of these. You might be misusing the name of the Lord if, and let me change that to we. because This isn't a me telling you, <laughs> okay? This is us looking at the Word of God together and applying it hopefully to our own lives. And so it's a, it's a we. We might be misusing the name of the Lord if you claim the name of the Lord for salvation, but you don't regularly and intentionally share the gospel with lost people. Wow, it's got serious in a hurry, didn't it? We claim the name for salvation. And if we believe Acts 4.12, which says, salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given unto men whereby we must be saved. How many of you believe that? You better believe it. It's God's word, right? There's no other name under heaven by which we can have salvation. Now, this isn't uh, an accept Jesus or go to hell statement. It's not Jesus drawing a line in the sand and saying, this is the way it is. I dare you to to cross it. But he's saying there is no other path to shalom. Because when Jesus said, there's no other name by which you must be saved, he's talking about the, the, the Greek word that he uses literally means restored. He says there's no way for you to get on the path that God always has had in mind for you apart from the name of Jesus. There's no other path to shalom. There's no other path to well-being, to peace, to fulfillment, to comfort, to identity, to everything that is important to us. None of it is available except through the name of Jesus. Because what happens is that if we're not focused on his name for our well-being, which would be another way to put it, we're focused on ourselves. We're focused on the world. We're focused on entertainment. We're focused on money. We're focused on... You you name it, there's a hundred things. And if if we keep our priority, we know that there's, there's no other name whereby we must be restored, whereby we can find completion, whereby we can find satisfaction and fulfillment. But if you believe Acts 4.12, you should have a strategy. It's not complicated. I, I've said this before. For years, I've had a practice. If someone expresses a need in my presence, I pray for them. I ask permission, and I pray for them on the spot. I got a, had a roof put on one of my rental houses uh, a couple weeks ago, and I talked to a guy on the phone. Uh, he gave me a bid. I was out in Oregon. Uh, a few days later, he called me back, and he'd been in a fire. He said, I'm in the burn hospital in Atlanta. And I went, oh, great. I'm not going to get my roof on. <laughs> and then I said, wow, that's really serious. Can I pray for you? And he said, yeah. And I said, okay, I'm going to pray for you right now over the phone. Whenever you do that, the next conversation is different. And, and his response to me and, and the way that we dealt with each other, you know, the roof became a secondary issue. That's not important, but tell me how you're doing. Tell me about you. And one of his boys was working on the site when I was over there, and I said, how's your dad doing? And, and uh, if, if you just will do that simple thing, it will create opportunities to go deeper. And I've even had people uh, where I've done that, man, almost 50 years ago. I remember a fellow named Dick Smith, prayed for him, met him for lunch, uh, actually bumped into him at KFC, said, hey, let's eat together, and uh, prayed for him when we sat down to eat. Pretty soon, he reached across the table, I'll never forget it, grabbed my wrist and said, Steve, can you help me find God? And I said, yeah, I can do that. (laughs) Wow. Started with a simple thing. Do you have a strategy for sharing your faith? I've been Traveling around the world with my friend John Hindi, doing relational evangelism seminars. We had uh, about 300 pastors and leaders in Nairobi, a couple hundred more in Addis uh, Addis Ababa, just different parts of the world, uh, Kenya, uh, Nairobi. You know what's sad? John can't book that conference in the U.S. There hasn't been an American church for years that was willing to to do that. And when he asked them, what's your strategy for helping your people learn how to share their faith? He hears crickets. Well, we have uh, lively worship. Oh, okay. But, But what do you do to help your people know how to share their faith effectively? Well, we have an invitation. Oh, okay. If we're serious about the name of the Lord. We're going to equip ourselves to share our faith. And uh, and there are opportunities to do that. It, it comes down sometimes to, to simple things like asking somebody, do you know as much about the Bible as you'd like to? How many people do you think are going to say, oh, yeah, I know, I know everything about the Bible? I mean, you, you can hardly answer that affirmatively. You have to say, well, no. Would you like to? Well, I've got some... Some lessons I could share with you. Equip yourself to share your faith. Philemon 6 says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you'll have a full understanding of every good thing you have in Christ. Let me paraphrase that for you. You'll value your own salvation a lot more if you share it. You'll value your faith much more if you articulate it for someone else. And you'll find yourself saying in the back of your mind, even if you're just reading a pamphlet together, in the back of your mind, you'll be saying, I really believe this. This is really important. This is valuable stuff. The old evangelism explosion question, do you know for sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven? There again, it gets serious real quick. But if the name of Jesus is the only path, to healing and help and salvation and wholeness in this life and in eternity. Why in the world don't we ask? Because we've loathed ourselves to sleep here in America. We think everybody's, I guess we think everybody's going to be fine. Have you been online lately or read the newspaper or watched TV? It's not fine. And there's a whole bunch of lost people in our world, and we're the ones that are able to do something about it second you we we might be misusing the name of the lord if our prayer life is anemic i brought something with me scotty was kind of scared earlier i walked up with this thing. look at this now that's a that's a serious piece of equipment i'm proud to say that i'm 70 years old and i put this on a branch and i broke the handle That's either a really weak handle or a tough old bird. And uh, so I broke the loppers. So I thought, I wonder if, I I bought them at Ace Hardware. I wonder if they would do it, if they'd give me a break on another pair because they were useless. Tried to figure out how to tape it up or do something, put something in there. Took it back into the store and the lady at the counter sent one of the boys back and said, go get one of those loppers and bring it here. And she brought it back and there was a tag hanging there. And it said, "Unconditional guarantee." She said, "Get the man his new loppers." Do you know that you have an unconditional written guarantee from God? I mean, what if I had that guarantee and I didn't use it? I just went and bought a new pair of loppers. I'm out thirty nine ninety nine. When I had a pair waiting there for me, I just needed to go pick them up. And, and she just said, "Give the man his loppers, and I gave her the busted one i don 't know what they did with those and and they gave me a brand new pair of loppers, no questions asked, no argument, because it was in writing. It was written a written unconditional guarantee. so listen to this john sixteen twenty three and twenty four When Jesus is serious, he starts by saying, I tell you the truth." Now he always told the truth, of course, but he, what he 's saying is now hear this it 's underlining an important principle he's about to share. I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. The name of Jesus is powerful, and it's important. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you'll receive, and your joy will be complete. Now, that statement is still true of too many of us. You have not asked for anything in his name. And he knew. He knew that they had not taken advantage of what he had taught them. He knew they hadn't sneaked away privately. They, hadn't, you know, they just hadn't taken advantage of this promise that he made to them. He said, until now, you haven't asked for anything in my name. But I'm telling you, if you'll ask anything in my name, my Father will grant grant it. And what's the the big word there? Whatever. Whatever you ask in my name, the Father will do. Do you know what the Greek word for whatever means? Whatever. It means anything, everything. No matter how small it seems to you, no matter how big it seems to you, how how big is something big in our minds to God? Anything that's huge in your mind is small to God. And I was preparing for this message, and I read that and thought, how big are my prayers for South Sudan? mean, yeah. Do I just want to pray for ceasefire? Do I want to pray for less disease? Do I want to pray for you know less uh, corruption? I mean, there's all kinds of... Or do I want to pray that that place will really become everything that God has in mind I had to make my prayers way bigger because I had been praying according to Steve's understanding of what needed to happen and Steve's power to do something about it and you know how much my power and my money and my effort could do about South Sudan nothing and when you do that you're hopeless but we have the right, we have an unconditional written guarantee about prayer. If we pray that prayer in the name of Jesus. Make a, maybe you need to make a tag and hang it on your ear or something. Uh, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until, you've not, until now you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive. And listen to this. And your joy will be complete. It'll change your whole perspective on life. So are we praying like we have an unconditional written guarantee that God will answer our prayer? We have a right to that. Remember how the Lord's prayer began? Hallowed be your name. Set apart other than, completely different than anything else, more powerful than anything else, hallowed be your name. I was with a group of pastors in Ecuador a couple, of, oh, probably five years ago now, maybe longer than that, 10 years ago. Uh, life is f- flying by. And I noticed, first I was kind of impressed and because they'd start their prayers with so. And it was really informal. And and, and I thought, well, they're intimate with God. Then I thought, no, they're not. They're casual. And and I began to, just in my spirit, I began to say, that's that's not right. To just act like God's a servant boy on call. I mean, the prayer says, hallowed, holy. Set apart. If if we don't hallow his name, we're not going to ask appropriate requests. If he's if he's just our good buddy in the sky that we talk to occasionally and say, uh so how's it going up there? Yeah, it's not going to get you much. Hallowed. His name is hallowed. His name is holy. We're to pray in his name. Second Chronicles 7.14 is a familiar verse that says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Let's run that backwards. How are we doing? Does it look to you like our president's being prayed for appropriately? Does it look to you like our Congress and House of Representatives is being supported in prayer by God's people? Does it look to you like that kind of prayer, the kind of prayer that he talks about here that will heal our land is taking place? Look at the world. Does it look to you like the world is being appropriately prayed for? Does it look to you like God's people are using their unconditional written guarantee to impact and change the world? You see, we're, we're dealing with this in the spiritual realm, and the whole thing has to do with the greatness of God, the power of God, and the authority of God being applied to the earth. But somehow, in ways that we don't understand, there's an agreement between God and Satan that God will move according to the prayers of his people. And so it's like God told Satan, okay, I'll fight you with one hand tied behind my back. I'm still going to whip you. I will act only when my people pray. And Satan said, I'll take that action. You're going to lose. Satan is banking on us being self-absorbed enough and selfish enough and fearful uh, <clears throat> fearful enough and immature enough that we won't pray. So when you look around the world, how are we doing? You see, we've been placed in charge with our prayers. And we tend to say, nothing I can do about that. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, that's horrible. Nothing I can do about that. And Jesus would say, I tell you the truth. You've been given the authority to do something about that. Now do it. If, the big if there, if my people who are called by my name, well, what's the rest of it? Humble themselves. Oh, quit thinking they're going to fix it. If they'll humble themselves, what's next? Turn from their wicked ways. Oh, that's probably part of the problem. You can't tell much difference between the believers and the unbelievers anymore. They'll turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Run it backwards again. If our land isn't healed, where does the fault lie? Lies with a sinful church, a sinful people. We're called to humble ourselves, to repent and to pray. And God guarantees that if we'll do that, he'll hear from heaven and heal our land. So the only thing between a healed nation a healed world and us is prayer, repentance and prayer. And God calls us to do that. Number 3. We might be misusing the name of the Lord if our daily life is inconsistent with the faith we profess. See this is this is not about a religion it's not about a set of doctrines or beliefs. This is about a lifestyle. A life lived for Jesus, and actually a life lived as Jesus. Colossians 3:17 says whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do all in the na- do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do. There's that word again. What's it mean in the Greek? Just humor me. I'm old and I don't have very many jokes. Okay. Yeah, it's whatever. That's what it means. So it's saying, if you can't do it in the name of the Lord, don't do it. That's running backwards. If you can't do it in the name of the Lord, don't do it. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He goes on to talk to wives and husbands and slaves. And then in verse 23, he says, whatever you do, there's that word again, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. At home, at work, in the community, are you part of the problem or part of the solution? Notice Colossians 4, 6, let your conversation be always full of grace seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. What's the implication? You're supposed to be living a life that causes people to ask questions. You're supposed to be living a life that demands explanation, that there's something different about you and that people will say, why do you do that? Why are you nice to me when I insult you? Why are you nice to me when I steal from you? Why are you nice to me when I'm really ignoring you? And it probably starts, the question probably starts with this question. What's wrong with you? What is wrong with you? We're doing a a book on the Apostles' Creed in our men's Bible study on Wednesday mornings. And in the book, uh, Pastor Pete uh, Bristow, uh, shares a letter that he got from a lady new to their church. And uh, I need to put these on, I think. She says, Dear Pete, I'm new to the church family. I just wanted to share what God has done through the body in my life. In September of 2007, I found out I had a brain tumor the size of a tennis ball and had to have immediate surgery. I was in Nashville speaking at the time. So, uh, this church is in Dallas, Dallas area in Texas. Um, Tammy, a dear friend, flew to Nashville just to be with me. Then when I had surgery two weeks later, Cheryl and Maynard flew to Nashville to be with me for 30 minutes after my surgery, and then they went home. I kept thinking, who are these people? I've never in all my Christian life experienced this kind of body before. My life group and small group Bible study surrounded me with prayers, phone calls, emails, meals. They drove me around. They helped take care of me and even gave me financial help. She went on to say the benevolence fund of the church paid all my bills for 2008. She said, note, the financial support has been overwhelming, but the love, acceptance, and caring I have received from this group of people has been far more than I could ever ask or imagine I still ask myself, who are these people? But I know the answer. They're Jesus with skin. That's our assignment. That happens in circles. That happens on the job. That happens in the community. That happens in the neighborhood. That happens in our family. When we do everything that we do, whatever we do, we do it in the name of Jesus. And that demands explanation. And somebody has to say, who are these people? And eventually they get the right answer. They're Jesus with skin on. Number four, we might be misusing the name of the Lord if our worship is weak and predictable. Um, Our worship today wasn't weak and predictable. It was awesome. Do you realize how much you need that? Do you know what happens if you don't worship regularly? If you don't worship corporately regularly, you become anemic and weak. No, you don't. You become more and more powerful in your own eyes. You see yourself as the solution. You become self-absorbed and selfish. Because we need to be reminded of the vastness and the greatness and the power of God. And we need to humble ourselves in worship just like we did this morning. And we need it in regular doses as often as we can find it. Christian worship should be powerful and unexplainable. In Alaska years ago, a man named Simon, a physicist, began coming to church with his girlfriend and he finally took me aside and he said, I can't figure out how you people do what you do. There's something supernatural in this place that I can't explain. And it really bothers me. And it became an opportunity to share the gospel with Simon. And Simon changed. A Jewish woman named Dee said, I come late on purpose. I want to miss the song time. That's what she called it. Worship leader, would hate that. <laughs> Don't you love that song time? No? Okay. I, I skipped the song time because it makes me feel bad, and I say, it makes me cry. And I said, it makes you cry? Why? And she said, because I'm standing there realizing I can't do what they're doing. I can see that it's affecting everybody else. I can see worship in their faces. I can see the love. I can see the power of what's happening, and I can't do it. I baptized her in a river in Thailand a few weeks later, a few months later. A few, a few years ago, I was in Arizona, mega megachurch. A worship leader came out to begin worship, and he did a simple thing. He was barefoot. He didn't. He didn't even have socks on. I don't want you to see my toes. They're pretty messed up. Um, but he slipped off his shoes, and it was just this unspoken signal: this is holy ground. There's something awesome. There's something powerful. There's something unexplainable that's happening here. Another place I was at had the practice of serving communion every week and somebody would give a communion devotion and sometimes they got long and you know what tends to happen and this this guy came up, it was his turn, he was the elder, it was his turn to lead into communion and he just made a a pretty uh, simple statement. He said, we're here to remember that Jesus willingly suffered and died for our sins. Think about that as we share the emblems. And he sat down, and that was it. Not much of a communion talk. We're here to remember that Jesus willingly died to pay for our sins. But that wasn't the end of the talk, because as he sat there, tears began running down his face. And you couldn't look away. Everybody in the place was just captured. because he was so appreciative of what Jesus had done for him that he just sat there and wept. It was powerful. Matthew 18, verse 20, where two or three come together in my name. There am I with them. The local church gives God an address. Do you know what I mean by that? People have a right to come here and expect to find God. They have a right to come here and experience the presence of God. They need to come here and go away saying, I went to church with God this morning. 1 Corinthians 14, 24, and 25 talks about the local church and worship, and it says, if, if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everyone is prophesying, He'll be convicted by all that he's a sinner and be judged by all, and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare, and he'll fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is truly among you. And then there's the scariest verse in the Bible. Do you know what it is? To a pastor, anyway. Revelation 3.20. We use it as a salvation verse, but it's not. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. It's an invitation verse, but here's the scene. The church is in there having worship. There's no knob on the door in the uh, Van Gogh or the famous artist painting of it. I forget which one it was. It had to be open from the inside. And Jesus is outside looking in. They're in there rocking right along, doing their service, and they don't even know he's not there. They don't know that Jesus is not present. Or two or three... Sincerely worship, he guarantees to be there. Sheldon Van Aken was a friend of C.S. Lewis, and he said the best argument for Christianity is Christians, their joy, their certainty, their completeness. But the best argument against Christianity is also Christians. When they're somber and joyless, when they're self-righteous and smug in complacent consecration, when they're narrow and repressive, then Christianity dies a thousand deaths. So how are we doing? How are we doing? Do whatever you do in the name of Jesus. The third commandment, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray. Father, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name in our witness to lost people. Give us boldness to pray. Give us boldness to ask. Give us boldness to talk to people in our world about you and about their need for you. And just while our heads are bowed and we're on that topic, if you've never surrendered your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, this is the time to do it. It's just a matter of saying, Lord, I surrender. I want salvation in your name. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name in our prayer life. Will you move your prayer life up to the next step? Will you go out of here saying, I'm gonna get I'm gonna be more serious about my prayer life? I'm gonna hallow God's name when I pray. Lord, hallowed be your name in our everyday life at home and at work and in the marketplace. Let our lifestyle, our daily life, everything about it be hallowed. And hallowed be your name in our worship gatherings. Thank you for our worship team. Thank you for uh, Pastor Cherish. Thank you for Jody and his heart for you that uh, is expressed in this place. Lord, help us to hallow your name every time we come together. Claim the promise that every time we come together to worship, you're present in our midst. Hallowed, hallowed, hallowed be your mighty name if you intentionally want to make Jesus Lord of your life today that happens between you and him in your heart and uh, you need to do that but it also needs to go public and that means we're going to have prayer partners up here uh, right away come and tell somebody I I gave my life to Jesus today. and Let them pray with you Uh, and uh, pray that uh, God will forgive you and place his name on your life. We hope you were blessed by today's message. If so, feel free to pay it forward and share this podcast with someone else. Thanks for listening.